Okay, good luck. We are beginning Sunday's portion of Parshas B'Shalach. So at the end of the previous portion of both, the Jews leave Egypt. We have um, the redemption. So the redemption, of course, continues in their traveling in the beginning of the Shalach and, of course, culminates in the tremendous miracle of the splitting of the sea, of the Jews going through the dry land, and the Egyptians pursuing them and drowning in that very same ocean, that very same sea. So we begin today telling that portion of the story. The first verse had happened when Pharaoh sent the people that God did not lead them by way of the land of Kalishtim because it was near, for God said, perhaps it will reconsider when they see a war and they will return to Egypt. So first Rashi translates this Hebrew below Nacham, he did not lead them. And we're explaining he didn't go by way of the Pelishtim, which seemingly is the easier route, because it was close. Now, Rashi says, first he explains that it would have been too easy to return to Egypt by that road, and then he says there are many Agidic Midrashim on this topic. So what's bothering Rashi here is a grammatical question. Way, the road, the path, is one of those words that could be interpreted in the feminine or masculine gender, unlike English, which of course doesn't have gender, feminine and masculine, but most languages do, and Hebrew definitely does. But there are some words that are like an anomaly, and they could go either way. So derech, road, is one of those words. So it could be feminine or masculine, depending on the context. So here derech is linked to eretz, land. Land is feminine. So when derech is linked to a feminine word like land, the way of the land of Pushtim, we would assume that the rest of the sentence be structured in the feminine voice. But it's not. It's in the masculine. So derech could be either. Eretz, land, is feminine. And then, because it's close, kikarov, who is written in the masculine, not in the feminine. So that's the question. And there are many agadak midrashim that answer that question. But none of them really fit with the literal pshat meaning of the verse. And Rashi, his job is to explain to us the literal meaning, the pshat. So therefore, he can't bring in something that's outside his paradigm. So he's telling us, I know your question. Great question. And there are plenty of answers, but I can't give you them because they're Midrashic answers, so if you want to find them out, go look it up yourself. So, Rashi explains, says when they see war, because there will be wars, they're going to see wars with Amalekim, with the Kananim. So if, they, if the Jews had gone out of Egypt by direct route, they would run back, as we see even here. When God took them as a very roundabout route, still at one point they said, let's go back to Egypt. How much more so if he took them on an easy road to return from? And Tayinachem, Rashi explains, will reconsider, they'll have second thoughts over the fact that they left Egypt, and they'll set their hearts to return. So the next verse, and God took the people around toward the way of the wilderness of the Yamsuf, the Sea of Reeds, and the children of Israel were armed when they went up from Egypt. So he took them, not the straight route, he took them from the straight route to the roundabout route, by the Yamsuf to the of reeds. It's called that way because this is like a marsh area where the reeds are growing. And it says, and they were armed. So Rashi gives us two explanations for that. First he says armed, meaning that they have weaponry. Here they are going out to a desert. And we see later there's wars. And they fight in the wars. So how do they have the equipment to fight in the wars? So being told now, I'm telling you now, they're armed. 
Well, later you see them fighting the wars. You don't wonder how in the world they get that equipment. Now, obviously, this links to the whole idea that the verse is saying, which is they were taking a roundabout route because if they were taking the straight road, which is the traversed road that goes through like we call it civilization, they wouldn't have to have all their provisions with them. They could buy it along the road. But here, since they're going in the desert, this roundabout way that nobody goes in uninhabited land, everything they're going to need for the journey, they have to have with them, including these arms. That's one explanation. The other explanation, hamushim, which is the Hebrew word for this arm, the root word of that is hamish, five, to teach us that only one in five Jews 26% left Egypt. And the other four-fifths, the other 80% died in Egypt during the three days of darkness. Meaning that unfortunately there were many Jews that did not believe in the redemption. And since they didn't believe in the redemption, they couldn't be redeemed. You could say, how would they not believe? They just experienced nine plagues. They believed in the hand of God, obviously. And they saw his power and they saw his saving them and all that. But they couldn't come to that point of actually believing they were going to leave. I mean, life was fine now in Egypt, actually. They haven't been slaves, you know, for, for nine months. And uh, they became wealthy with the first plague. They stopped being slaves and they became wealthy because they were selling water to the Egyptians. So life is fine. And leave and go to desert and get to Israel and then conquer Israel. It just seems so like, it sounds fine to say far-fetched when they were living a very far-fetched reality. But still, it's hard for people to envision outside their box. So since they didn't believe in redemption, they couldn't be redeemed. That's what we say will be different by the coming complete redemption of the Messiah, of Mashiach, that no Jew will be left behind. That you don't have to believe in the redemption to get out. But then they did. And we're actually told that we should take strength, in a sense, from this for our reality, when sometimes we feel that not everyone believes in what in the upcoming redemption, as these Jews do not believe in their redemption from Egypt, that it's okay. In Israel, only a small percentage believe, and history is repeating itself. Maybe that's why only a small percentage now believe, but it will turn around, and gradually more and more will believe until everyone believes, because in the end, every Jew will get out of this exile. Now, the next verse says, Moses took the bones of Yosef with him, of Joseph. For he had made the children of Israel swear, saying, God will surely remember you. You shall bring my bones up from here with you. Now, in the Hebrew, swear is a double expression. Hashbeah, hishbeah. The Rashi explains, like swear, swear, that Joseph was making his brother swear, that they would make their children swear, so I'm making you swear that you're going to make someone else swear, to take me out of Egypt. Now, why did he do this? Why didn't he just ask the brothers to bury him in Israel then? But Joseph thought, you know, when we buried my father, Jacob, when we did bury him in Israel after he passed away, it was very difficult. But because I was the ruler and had this power, I was able to do it. And the Egyptians definitely didn't want. So for sure now, my brothers don't have the power. They're not going to be able to do it. And the Egyptians aren't going to want. So I, I, I know they won't be able to do it now. But there'll be a time when I know all the Jews will get out. Now note, at this point, the Jews aren't slaves there yet. Joseph was the first of the brothers to pass away. None of the Jews were enslaved, but still Joseph, Joseph saw in a sense what was going to happen and the, whatever level he understood the bondage and then the ultimate redemption. So there's going to be a redemption. And when there's a redemption, when the Jews leave, make sure to take me out with you. Now he says, bring out my bones with you. Which means that not only was Joseph 
taken out, but if he's saying with you, that means he knew and truly has happened that all of the brothers also were taken out, that every one of Jacob's sons who had all passed away in Egypt and none of them were able to be buried then in, in Israel, but all of them were brought out by their respective tribes and were ultimately taken and buried in Israel. They journeyed from Sukkos and encamped in Asim at the edge of the wilderness. So this is on the second day of their departure. On the first day, they came from Ramses to Sukkos. And on the second day, from Sukkos to Asim. God went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to have them led along the way, by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel day and night. So basically the, the first... Rashi here on the word lanchosam have them led based on the vowels. We see this is a causative word. So this means that the being led here is to have them led by an emissary. So who is the emissary? The emissary here is the pillar of cloud. In other words, God himself is going before the Jews, but despite his presence, he prepared this pillar of cloud with which to lead them that they follow the pillar of cloud, not for light, but to guide them along, along the road. And the next verse says, We would not remove the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So this means that the pillar of cloud was by day, the pillar of fire was by night, and they would overlap, that it would never be a situation where one leaves and then the other one comes. But always, only once the other replacement pillar came, did the first one leave. So the pillar of cloud stayed until the pillar of fire came and then the pillar of cloud would leave. And conversely, in the morning, the pillar of fire would only leave after the pillar of cloud came. God spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and let them turn back and encamp before Piachiros, between Migdal and the sea, before Baal you shall encamp opposite it by the sea. <clears throat> so what's going on here? So Rashi explains we want the Jews now to travel backwards. Instead of traveling away from Egypt, which is what they were doing, turn toward Egypt. So this entire third day after their departure, they walked in the direction of Egypt. So why did God let them do that? To mislead Pharaoh, to mislead the Egyptians, so they should say, oh, they're all lost in the, in the desert. They don't know what they're doing, which is exactly what we see that Pharaoh says about the Jews. So encamp by Pihachirot, this is Pithom. Why is it called Pi Hachiroth? Pi means mouth and Hachiroth means freedom. Because here, at this point, the Jews became like free men. It was called the mouth because there were two tall upright rocks and a canyon between them like the mouth of the rocks. So originally, obviously if, if the Torah is making a point of mentioning the location of their encampment, there's some significance to it. So the original name of this place was Pithom which is a contraction of the word pe-sasum, which means a closed mouth. So why was this encampment, like right outside Egypt, called pisom, a closed mouth? To signify how tightly sealed the borders of Egypt were that no slave could escape. But now that the Jews went free, instead of calling it pisom, a closed mouth, we call pihachiros, the mouth of freedom. And Rashi is explaining why mouth is part of the name, because the opening between these two upright stones is like a mouth between the tulips. Now they were by Baal Tzifon. Baal Tzifon was one of the idols, the deities of Egypt. 
And it was the only deity that God did not destroy because by the plague of the striking of the firstborn, one of the many casualties, if you will, of that plague was that every single idol shattered, melted, smashed, everything's getting destroyed. This is the firstborn, so to speak, of Egypt with all their deities. But there was one that that did not get destroyed, and that was Balsaphon. Why? Deliberately to mislead the Egyptians, so they should think, oh, this deity is really strong. So this is actually what we say, that God leads the nations astray and destroys them. So God specifically led the Egyptians astray by giving them the impression that this deity, Balsaphon, could help them, which led to them having the illusion of their own strength. Therefore, they pursued the Jews, Therefore, they were completely destroyed by the Amsuf, by the Sea of Reeds. Now, go back to the verse. Pharaoh will say about the children of Israel, they're confined in the land the wilderness has locked them in. So when he, this is, Rashi explains that when he's going to hear that the Jews are like going in circles and they're actually turning back as if they're going toward Egypt, so he's going to say, literally, there will be to the children of Israel, but in this context it means that sometimes it means about the children of Israel that they're confined as Rashi explains they're locked up they're embedded in this wilderness they don't know how to get out of it they don't know where to go and next verse I shall strengthen the heart of Pharaoh and he will pursue them and I'll be glorified through Pharaoh and through his entire army and Egypt will know that I am God and they did so so Rashi explains that when God takes vengeance against the wicked this is magnifying and glorifying his name. So we're going to glorify through Pharaoh and through his entire army. So why do we have to list through Pharaoh? Because they through the Egyptians. Because Pharaoh initiated the sin of enslaving the Jews, and therefore the punishment begins from him, as we have in other places this concept, that punishment begins with the person who initiates the sin. And they did so. The verse ends, and they did so. This tells the praise of the Jews, because here... Moses was saying, we're going to now turn all around and go back in the direction of Egypt. And you'd think they'd say, how can we do this? We're going to come close to those that are pursuing us? We're coming closer to the Egyptians. We should run away. But they did not say this. Here they were loyal and faithful. They say we only can rely on the words of Moses. If this is what Moses is telling us to do, this is what we are going to do. And the next verse, it was told to the king of Egypt that the people had fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants were turned regarding the people. And they said, what is this that we have, sent, we have done, that we have sent away Israel from serving us? So it was told. Who told it? So Pharaoh sent people with them. Because originally they had said the whole time, oh, we're going for three days. Now, nobody really thought after three I mean, you know, for ten months, you give us these ten horrific plays, including killing out who knows how many Egyptians for, for three days. They're going to come back and we'll probably can be your slaves after these three days. Like, you know, hey, why not? Obviously, everyone knew that they were not planning on coming back. As that, that's what I said. We're taking our kids. We're taking our animals. We're taking everything. And everyone knew that. But they said the three days to create a scenario that now Pharaoh and his whole people could get trapped in. And they said, wait, wait, it's three days. Aren't you supposed to come back? These Egyptian escorts said, wait, aren't you supposed to come back? Well, of course, they weren't going back. So they went and they told Pharaoh. So on the fourth day, they come to Pharaoh and they say, hey, uh, surprise, surprise, the Jews didn't come back. So now we have two days, the fifth and the sixth day, where the Egyptians are pursuing the Jews. And on the night of the seventh, 
they come to the Jews that are right now by the sea. The sea is in front of them, and the Egyptians are behind them. And then we have the tremendous miracle, of course, where the sea splits and the Jews go through the waters. On the morning of the seventh day is when the Jews sang praise to God on this seventh day for saving them, for causing the tremendous miracle of that sea opening up for them to go through, and of course for the destruction of Egypt that pursued them into the water, which is, in our calendar, always comes out, of course, on the seventh day of the holiday of Passover, which is why we read as the Torah portion of that day this song the Jews sang by the sea. Now, next one, she says, the heart of Pharaoh and his servants returned because Pharaoh had said to the Jews, go, 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 gone. And his servants kept saying to Pharaoh, how long is this going to be a hazard for us? Let's just get rid of them. But now their hearts turned, which of course is what God wanted, and they started thinking of all the money that they had given the Jews, all their gold and silver and garments, and like, like as if suddenly, well, what do we do all that for? We, we want them back. They're saying, well, why do we let them stop serving us? Why do we let them stop working for us? Of course, the Jews haven't worked for them since the first plague. That was 10 months away. But again, in their fuzzy heads at this moment, what were we thinking? We should bring them all back and then they'll be our slaves again. 